morning. Um, it's a privilege to be with you at this time of the morning. Um, sorry that we're not in Silch Restaurant or wherever you are in Melbourne or Brisbane or Canberra. Um, I'm also looking forward to this in, in this regard, at least that uh, yesterday I did one. We got kind of bombed by people from out with who uh, said all kinds of nasty and rude things, but you're lawyers and you're much, you'd be much more polite. If you do want to use the chat facility, you can put up questions during the, the talk as well. Um, and you can either send them, there's a facility there that says to everyone or privately to me or whatever. But I do want to begin by reading Psalm 8. So uh, if you do actually have a Bible, you can go on screen and find one, then um, uh, Peter's right, this is what we're looking at. It's a Psalm of David. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the work of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Well, um, I'm sitting here and if I could turn my uh, camera around, which I can't without disconnecting everything, uh, you would see that I, I'm looking out over Chatswood, which you may not consider particularly majestic, although I think it's quite fine. Um, there's a, a radio tower, which is North Sydney's equivalent of the Eiffel Tower. But there's beautiful trees and uh, the sun is shining. Uh, there is much in the earth when we look at uh, what it is that just makes us, how will I put it, just wonder. I mean, I mentioned to some of you before that when I was a teenager, I desperately tried to be an atheist, but I grew up in the Scottish Highlands and I just couldn't do it. I just could not find myself turning away uh, from the idea that there was a creator. Now, uh, this psalm or this talk as well is a follow-up to the idea of what is humanity. Martin Luther King in the 1950s had a very famous sermon called What is Man? And in it, he talks from this psalm about human beings are above the animals but below the angels. And that's an, that's an interesting, shall we put it, view. There are some people who think that humanity is the epitome, the very height of all creation, uh, except they wouldn't use the term creation. We're at the top of the evolutionary tree. Well, I want to think about it in this way. I want to think about it in terms of not just what is humanity, but who is God. So that's how he begins, because we define who we are in terms often of relation to other people or other being. And what this song tells us is that children and infants praise the God of the universe. His glory above the, is above the heavens, yet he can be praised in the nursery. And it's interesting because it says that this confounds the foe and the avenger. <clears throat> David himself was experiencing powerlessness and weakness. And I think one of the problems with the current situation that we face uh, with regards to this tiny little virus is how powerless and weak the powerful 
and supposedly strong are. He thought about it at night. He thought about it a lot. He, he, can, he, he wondered where he was at. I mean, some of us in, in a kind of semi-lockdown that we're here in, in Australia, it depends where you are. It, it does appear to me that um, each governor is trying to outdo the other in seeing how strict they can be. Um, but I think we're basically in a kind of lockdown. And it does give us time to contemplate and think, I hope that we're not just watching Netflix. In Matthew 21, 16, the disciples say to Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? They were praising him. Yes, replied Jesus, but have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? It's interesting that often it was the children who recognized who Jesus was more than the disciples. So God is seen in terms of his creation. Roman ones tell Romans 1 tells us that. It's magnificent. But then the question becomes of what is man? Um, there's an old Scottish preacher in the 19th century called Thomas Chalmers, who wrote a book, this is in the 19th century, called Astronomical Discourses, in which he speculated about the possibility of life on other planets. See, the church is always ahead of the game. Um, I wish. And he says this, we gave you but a feeble image of our own comparative insignificance when we said that the glories of an extended forest would suffer no more from the fall of a single leaf than the glories of this extended universe would suffer through the globe we tread upon and all that it inherits should dissolve. I mean, it's the vastness of the universe that totally gets me. You take a gun, you fire a bullet to the nearest star apart from the sun, and it would take 700,000 years to get there. But it's not just the vastness. It's also what cosmologists call the fine tuning. Martin Rees speaks about the six numbers that make the universe. Or Fred Hoyle talks about the 15 constants. Fred Hoyle says this. Now remember, Fred Hoyle is an atheist. Fred Hoyle is one of the top, was one of the top scientists in the world. He says, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as with chemistry and biology, and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. The numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. Now, when Hoyle discovered the radiation behind the, um, the background radiation behind the Big Bang, he was devastated by this because he's an atheist. And up until that point, he largely believed in the randomness of the universe. But the constants such as, for example, the property of carbon or uh, gravity, the constants are such that if they were tweaked at all, then the universe could not exist. It would either implode or explode. And what Hoyle is talking about in the numbers, perhaps if I gave you this illustration, which I heard, the chances of it being right are 10 to the power of, and the number of zeros that are needed to that, after that, are, are such that there are more than there are atoms in the universe. It's such an astronomical number. Um, the way of it describing it is this. Imagine that you took a, a coin, a penny coin, and you were in, let's say, Texas. And from Texas, you built a tower of penny coins all the way to the moon and back, 186,000 miles. 
And then you covered the whole of Texas in that way and did exactly the same. And then you covered the whole of the United States, including Alaska, and did exactly the same. You then took one of those billions upon trillions upon billions of coins and marked it with a pink pen. You then randomly inserted that back into these coins that were going all the way to the moon and back. You then took a child and blindfolded them. What are the chances of them picking out that one penny out of all those coins? Well, that's the chances of the universe actually existing. The greatest question is not really why do we exist? The greatest question is how do we exist at all? And I think long before we discovered this in terms of science, that the psalmist was looking around and saying, this is incredible, and it is. Humankind is dwarfed by the universe, and the psalmist was aware of that. And yet humankind is taken up by the Lord, given glory, and made in one sense uh, a master of creation. We are to subdue the earth, we are to steward it, we are to take care of it. Now, that question about what is humanity is asked in different ways. So Psalm 144, verse 3. O Lord, what is man that you care for him, the son of man that you think of him? Or Job 7, 17. What is man that you make so much of him, that you give him so much attention? Or Job 25, 6. How much less man who is but a maggot, a son of man who is only a worm? Now, here's the problem. Or pro not problem, but for me, the good thing. There is a worldview which says that human beings are just chemicals. So we are a blob of carbon floating from one meaningless existence to another, as Bertrand Russell would say. I remember speaking at uh, a book event in uh, Chelmsford in England. And at the end, one man stood up and he asked, um, who do you think you are? And I said, well, what do you mean? You know, I'm a Scottish Presbyterian minister, is that what you're trying to say? He said, no, 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 I, I, that too. <laughs> but he was an atheist and I knew that because he had a big shirt with an A on it to remind him of what he was. And uh, <laughs> it was quite funny actually. He then said, no, 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 there are 6 billion people on this earth and this earth is just tiny. Oh, I said, oh, you're talking about the insignificance of man. I said, well, you know, in your worldview, I'm nothing. I, I'm just carbon, I'm just chemicals. And once I die, I, you know, I go back to being chemicals and anyway, the whole earth is going to disappear. That's it. But in the Christian worldview, it's very, very different. In the Christian worldview, we see ourselves as being made in the image of God. The universe is not meaningless and empty. Isaiah 45, 18 says this. This is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. We are given stewardship of the earth and we are, there are lots of implications in that. Again, this is kind of summarizing what, what I've said in previous talks as we looked at Genesis one to three. But the other thing in terms of identity, human beings, and I think this is very important, uh, I remember doing a debate with the head of the British Humanist Association, and he was very calm and very smooth and very intelligent. And until I said to, I suggested to him that he wasn't, I didn't say he wasn't fully human. I said his philosophy was not fully human because he left out 
one of the most important bits about being human. We're physical beings, we're emotional beings, we're rational beings, we're communicative beings, we're societal beings, but we are also spiritual beings. And if you leave that out, then you are, you're leaving out something that is fundamental to humanity. You know, in this current crisis, we're talking about what's necessary. So it's necessary to um, go and get food. So if you're a, a shopkeeper or a lorry driver, you're a necessary worker. It's necessary to have health care. You're a necessary worker if you're a doctor or a nurse. I guess it's necessary for us, for the economy to keep running. So you're a necessary worker if you're running a business. But it's interesting that the Australian government has decreed that clergy are necessary workers. Um, when that was done in the United Kingdom, the Humanist Society went berserk and complained about it. Um, and they had to withdraw their complaint because it was just so bitter and caused such ridicule. But is it necessary? And the answer is yes. I don't think necessarily clergy, you could say, are necessary. But the spiritual aspect of humanity is absolutely necessary. And there's a very, very interesting uh, description of that. I would, how would you define yourself? Let me ask you this. How would you define yourself if you had to write down a list of what you are as a human being? Some people define themselves by their sexuality, some by their nationality, some by their family. I think I would define myself in this way, that I'm a human being made in the image of God. And as a Christian, I am in Christ. Hebrews 2 says this, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. The psalmist speaks of that. He talks of this being this great universe created by God, and yet everything is under the feet of God. And we as human beings are made in the image of God. I think that's a far grander version. I think that's a a much more humane view of humanity. I'm not sure that any religion, and certainly not secularism, comes anywhere near that grand view. And that's why for me, just maybe to finish this in this crisis, you know, people being very utilitarian talking about, well, if we crash the economy, it will cause so many deaths. And if we don't crash the economy, it will cause so many deaths because of the virus and trying to work it out in that way. I think every human death is a tragedy. It doesn't matter the age, doesn't matter the person, because every human being is made in the image of God. I think without that philosophy, um, it has enormous practical implications, both for our own personal lives and our corporate life. Okay. Um, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're going to look at that uh, next week from Psalm 139. But for this week, I think that's me just about done. And if you've got any questions and comments, I think we'll go for that. Um, All right. Uh, okay. Thanks. Can so I just, yeah, yeah, Peter, I'm, I'm just going to go. There's a couple of questions on here. Can I just do those first? Absolutely. Anyway. Okay. Not, well, one's not a question. One's from Lisa. I wish you could hear me laugh when David says something funny. Hey, I don't say anything funny. This is desperately serious. You're completely misunderstanding me, Lisa. So, <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I realize, um, yeah, um, I, 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 
I'm reminded of a story by, about the Baptist minister, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, when this lady came up to him and said to him, Mr. Spurgeon, uh, you use far too much humor in the pulpit. And Spurgeon said, Madam, you may well be right, but you should be thankful for what I do not use. And I feel uh, that I ought to say the same as well. There's things. Now, by the way, I hate doing this on Zoom purely and simply because I have to look at myself at a screen and it's just awful. I feel sorry for you guys. Um, and then I have to squint to read the question. Why would God make humans in his image, but place us and the rest of the living creation in such an insignificant part of the total universe? Yeah, but it's not insignificant. That's the point. That's what's fascinating about it. Um, although Thomas Chalmers was speculating in the 19th century whether there was life on other planets, we haven't found any. Um, I, I don't want to upset any of you Trekkies out there, but it's not real. And you know, the, the Star Wars stuff, sorry, it's not real. Um, we just haven't found any. And it does seem um, to me completely amazing that there is this planet which exists with life and water uh, and everything else. And I remember um, Stephen Hawking in his, in his book, A Brief History of Time, which has the reputation of being the most unread book in history, bought unread book in history. But at the beginning of that book, he, now I'll try and get the quote right, I don't have it right in front of me, so this is from memory. He says, it looks as though the universe was created by a God who intended to create beings just like us. Because he was talking about the fantastical astronomical possibilities of the earth actually existing with the capacity for life. And um, I think, by the way, his book is so difficult to read because he says that's what common sense would tell us, that's what it looks like, but because he was an atheist and he didn't believe it, he allowed his philosophy to dominate over his science, if you like, and he, he desperately tried to create an explanation of a universe without God, which is very, very difficult. So I, no, I don't agree that this is insignificant. I think in the eyes of um, the world, if I put it that way, in the eyes of a secularist atheist, yes, it is insignificant. But in the eyes of a, of a Christian, this is very significant. Peter, you got anything else? Uh, yeah, I've got a, some great questions coming through here. How about this one? David, do you think that believing that we are made in the image of God is a necessary precondition for recognizing human dignity? And a follow-up question, is there any other belief system that explains human dignity that you know of? And we had another question along similar lines. Okay. It's not, okay, let me be careful how I answer this. I think there are people who believe in human dignity, but who do not have an adequate reason or philosophical framework for believing in human dignity. Because at the end of the day, if your belief, your philosophical belief is just that we are um, chemicals, then fundamentally, there is no difference between you and a cockroach. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. I'm reading a book just now, just an amazing book uh, about, I think it's called One Blood, about the history of Christianity amongst the indigenous peoples in Australia. And to be honest, in general, the European settlers treated the indigenous people appallingly, appallingly, including some within the church. 
But those missionaries in particular who sought to help the indigenous people did so on the basis they believed that all human beings were made in the image of God. That was their philosophical basis. The scientific basis at that time was that the indigenous people were a lower rung on the tree of evolution and therefore were going to be eradicated. That's what the scientists believe. That's what the rational people believed. But Christians disagreed with that. So for me, um, I, I think that you can believe in the dignity of human beings, but if you want to be rationally consistent, you have to have a philosophical framework that allows for it. Um, was there another part to that question? Uh, the, the, second, the second part of that was, uh, is there any other belief system that explains human dignity that you know of, or I guess uh, gives a, a, a good foundation for human dignity? Well, I would say the, the, the monotheistic religions, so Judaism and Islam, would tend to have that. My problem with Islam tends to be not its view of humanity, um, but I wanted to difference that, but more its view of God. Um, but I would say the monotheistic religions certainly do that. I'm, I'm not sure that I could comment too much on Buddhism, which is largely atheistic anyway, or Hinduism. Um, in terms of secular worldviews that are based upon a materialist view, no. Um, the, the secular worldview assumes too much without rational foundation. Okay. All right. We've got another question here. Uh, why would God make humans in his image and, and so on, but place us and the rest of all living creation in such an insignificant part of the universe? Okay, well, I, I kind of answered that already. I, I, I don't think it is insignificant. And I think its significance comes from the fact that we're on the planet. Um, you know, the, the vastness of the universe just totally blows my head. I, I used to live in an area where there was no light pollution or virtually no light pollution. And, you know, I'd walk and I'd stare at the stars and I just, it would just, it was just incredible to me. I think... Yes. I mean, that's what this Psalm is saying. He's saying, what are we? This is incredible that we are here on this planet, that we can think, that we can talk, that we can ask this, these questions. It's incredible that we can be creative. It's incredible that we can contemplate these things. And it, yeah, the question is valid, but I, I would say that the planet has significance because we are here. All right. Okay. We've got a, a, another a fantastic question here in terms of the part of the universe um that uh i'll just read it out what part of the universe will the heaven that christians go to um will occupy so, okay yeah. um and they also say that they agree by that one blood by john harris is a great book yeah. thank you yeah. it's it's keeping me awake at night I, I find it i find that i do recommend that book i find it profoundly disturbing um, I think that the, the difficulty with the question is it seems to be presupposing what I would call a tripartite view of the universe. There's heaven above, there's earth, and there's hell beneath. Now, actually, the Bible doesn't teach that, and I'm not sure that any Christian theologian has ever believed it. I'm, I, I think there will be a new heavens and a new earth. So I don't think, you know, if you say, where is heaven? Well, if we managed to get a rocket ship that could go far enough, we'd arrive at God's destination. I think one, God is everywhere, but I think there's a specific place that will, dare I say, it's almost like a parallel universe where there'll be no sin or, uh, or evil or wickedness or decay or disease or COVID-19 or whatever. Um, 
And the Bible talks about the heavens and the earth being recreated. I do not think that you can get onto it. I mean, I think Calvin said, if you imagine God living in a cottage millions of miles up in space, you've got it all wrong. And so I don't think heaven is a particular part of this universe. I think heaven is where, where God is ultimately. And I suspect that um, almost like a parallel universe, a recreated universe would be the answer. Okay. Um, I think we've probably got time for just a couple more questions. Yeah. There's one that's come through. Uh, if Star Trek is not real, um, that's actually not being conceded by the questioner. Um, and we're unique in the universe. What's the point of everything else? You know, why so many stars and galaxies? Do they have a purpose? Yeah, I mean, all I'll say about Star Trek is you should try Klingon ale. That just proves it's not real. It's worse than Australian beer. Um, so, no, sorry. Um, what's the point of everything else? Well, how many, so many stars and, and galaxies, do they have a purpose? Yes, they do. Job, in the midst of his agony, look, looks up to the heavens and he says, when I consider the, the stars, when I consider the universe, he says, I realize that these are just but the outer fringe of your power. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God. And I think that's what they're for. I think they reveal and show the glory and the power of God. And that, for me, has helped me enormously in my understanding of God, because to think of God as some old man sitting on a cloud or some Superman being is just ridiculous. But you look at the heavens and you think, wow, there's something greater, someone greater, someone bigger than this. And actually, Einstein went that route. He, his belief was, I don't, I don't think he was a theist. He certainly wasn't a Christian. But he, nor, neither was he an atheist. He actually ended up saying that there must be an intelligent mind behind this universe. Uh, uh, and I think it's the universe testifies to that. So that's what the purpose is. Mm. Anything else before we go? Um, just probably the last question, just picking up on social Darwinism that you uh -huh. referred to in reading One Blood. Uh, did, can you think, or have you read of any other examples of Christians who have actually, actually rejected that philosophy, which was so kind of pervasive in the early, early 1900s? and late uh, 19th century. Yeah, well, it's fairly pervasive today as well, actually. Um, why, why do you think Iceland is celebrating not having any Down syndrome babies? We've eradicated Down syndrome babies. They're, they're not worth living. Um, I think social Darwinism is actually fairly deeply ingrained within the culture. Um, the strong survive, the weak you get rid of. Um, I, of Christians who resisted that, yes. I mean, I will. I'll go to the example of, or well, my favorite example always, in terms of this is is Adolf Hitler, who his uh, secretary, uh, I was going to say Yeld to Junger, I think her name was, no, Traudo Junger. She um she wrote afterwards that Hitler used to sit at the dining room table and say that human beings were an evolved species, and he then went on to say you know, that we, we have to let the weak die. Um, he, he eradicated, he sought to eradicate before the Jews, the disabled, for example, to get them out of the gene pool. And he then said, it's only the church that seeks to keep the weak alive, uh, which I thought was actually a remarkable testimony. Um, now, I don't think that is true. I think there are other people who, human beings who who are, are, if you like, moral in that sense and recognize that that's wrong and false. But I would say that um, 
it, 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 it is a, a Christian philosophy that underpins the desire to help everyone. So I walk down the street and I see a guy lying in his own urine. I cannot say uh, he's a scumbag, he's a drug addict or a drunk or whatever. I have to say he's a human being made in the image of God. And for me, um, that basically trumps absolutely everything. So I, I, don't, I don't know what you're doing, but when I get up in the morning and after I've read and prayed and so on, I switch on my screen and I look at the John Hopkins, how many people have got COVID, how many people have died, not all for the disease, but with the disease um, and how things are going. And, you know, in Australia, we've got what, 21 deaths, which is incredible how low it is compared with the rest of the world. And some people won't say, well, it's only 21. Yeah, but each one of those 21 is a significant human being. And so we would mourn for them as we mourn for the one of the two million. Mm. Um, I, I think that's the significance of what we've been looking at today. Mm. All right. Okay. Shall we leave it there? Yeah, good. Thank you. Thank you David, so much for everything you've shared with us. And thank you so much for being with us. So um, join us same time next week. And David's going to do his second part where he looks at being fearfully and wonderfully made. See you next time. See you next time.